Cleveland Schmooze is sponsored by the Cleveland Jewish News. Get the latest news and information from the Cleveland Jewish News delivered right to your inbox. Choose from breaking news, daily headlines, community life cycle notices, arts, events, highlights, and more with our free e-newsletters. Sign up now at cjn.org slash e-signup. Welcome to Cleveland Schmooze, a bi-weekly podcast about the people who make up Jewish Cleveland. We're your hosts, Rachel Rood and Robin Rood. This week, we are talking to Kathy Randall, who loves games, especially Mahjong. She tells us how she got interested in playing and about how the game bonds her with her family. We sat down with Kathy Randall at B'nai Asherin Congregation in Pepper Pike. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us on Cleveland Schmooze. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. So we start every podcast by asking uh, a little bit about your Jewish background, how you grew up, what is your connection to Jewish culture today? Okay, I grew up in New York. I came from a Reform family background, but my grandfather was Orthodox. So it was very interesting um, because when we did family holidays, I would go to my grandfather's house with my mother and her family, and it was very strict. So when Rosh Hashanah came or Yom Kippur, you could not turn off or on a light. Mm. You couldn't do anything. You really had to stay put. So we took lots of walks. I took a lot of walks with my grandfather, and I got to know Judaism through him. And because he was Orthodox, he davened every day. And I was fascinated by the way he was able to wrap the tefillin. Mm. Unfortunately, as um, a child growing up in a reform home, you lose a lot of those traditions. Mm -hmm. So um, I've always been on a quest to find out more about Judaism. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to live with my family overseas for 10 years. So we lived in Mexico, Singapore, and Hong Kong. Wow. And there is no Reformed Judaism in those countries. So in Mexico, even though the synagogue was conservative, it was more reform. And my youngest daughter was born there, so it was interesting. We had a baby naming there. Mm-hmm. When we found out we were moving to Singapore, um, the rabbi was very instrumental in telling us where the congregation was in Singapore. Mm-hmm. But in Singapore and in Hong Kong, everything is Orthodox. Oh, and wow. they're very closed communities. Mm. They really are. Because expatriates, which is what I was, um, they come and go. And people like you, but they know you're only going to be friends for a certain period yeah. of time, and then you leave. We were very blessed. We were very, very well received in the synagogue in Singapore. So my daughters and I would sit upstairs while my husband sat downstairs. And in Hong Kong, it was just a wonderful, wonderful community. Did you learn the languages? Um, I learned Spanish <coughs> in Mexico, but my oldest daughter is really trilingual. She had English. She learned English and Spanish simultaneously because she was only 18 months old when we moved there. Mm -hmm. And then when we got to Hong Kong, she learned Mandarin and then pursued both of those languages when she went to college. Wow. Nice. What was the traveling for? Was it a work thing? Yes. 
um, my husband did international banking and finance. He worked for right. Bank of America. And we always wanted to live overseas, and so when the opportunity availed itself, we grabbed it and went. So how did you land in Cleveland? We had uh, spent 10 years overseas. Uh, We had come back to the United States and went back to Connecticut. My husband at that time was working um, in New York, and Bank of America and Wells Fargo had merged. And so he went out to California for a year to work on the transition. They liked him a lot, so they asked all of us to move to San Francisco. So we did, and we were there uh, for about three years. And then he had an opportunity to leave Bank of America and come to Cleveland, which was Star Bank, U.S. Bank, and so we moved here. So speaking of, you know, the the Chinese culture, was Mm -hmm. that where you picked up uh, Mahjong? No. Actually, um, in growing (laughs) up in New York, (laughs) my mother was a single parent. My father passed away when I was 10. And so my mother worked. But one of the things that she loved the most was Mahjong. Mm -hmm. And so she would have groups of friends. You know, the women would play Mahjong. I grew up in an apartment building, which is, you know, wonderful because you can run up and down the stairs and take (laughs) the elevator. And I remember at night listening to my mother play Mahjong. Mm -hmm. And I loved, I was fascinated with the clacking of the tiles and the shouting, one bam, south, wind, dragon. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I always wanted to learn, but really never had the opportunity to learn. It was something my mother didn't teach me, Mm. which was very unfortunate. As a young adult, I took up bridge because I love games, and I think Mm -hmm. games are more important than people realize. I love games. I, I, I just do. And so we things... played Monopoly. I don't know if you count that as a game. I do game because game. we collected Monopoly from all the cities that we lived in. So we had the Stanford, Connecticut Monopoly. Oh. We had the traditional Monopoly. I have a Singapore Monopoly. So I loved games, but um, I learned bridge. Bridge was the vogue when I was in high school. I learned it in high school. I played it in college. When we lived overseas, um, there's usually an American club for women, the International Club for American Mm -hmm. Women. And so bridge was a very popular activity, and it brought people together. Mm -hmm. And so I played a lot of bridge. And what was so interesting is I started to jog with a friend in Singapore. And we used to leave early in the morning before the children got on the bus, and we had a route. And our route was through one of the neighborhoods in Singapore. And at 6.30 in the morning, while we were jogging, we would hear the men play mahjong. Because typically, it's, <laughs> it's it, I mean, game. it's a man's game. Women mm-hmm. played in China, too. Mm-hmm. But it just brought back so many wonderful memories for mm-hmm. me. And I said, at some point of time, I will have to learn maj. Mm-hmm. But I loved that clacking and everything. Unfortunately, I really didn't have the opportunity to learn maj until I moved to Cleveland. <laughs> and We are a very large maj. We are center. a very large maj group. And I played bridge while I was here for many, many years, and I tried canasta, which was fun too, but Maj seemed to call my name. (laughs) So when I retired, I was able to get into a Maj group, and it was hard. It's hard to, you know, when you're not a Clevelander, it's very hard to get into a group. 
But I was able to get into a group, I'm proud to say, my next door neighbor taught me how to play Mahjong, and I play three times a week. And I love it, and as you know, my license plate is one bam. (laughs) That's amazing. How to get that in. Right. I have so many questions. Okay. First of all... But Grandma did try to teach you Blanche when you were a kid. Yes, so my grandma was also a Maj player, Mm -hmm. and I feel like I never really got the full story from her about how she got started playing Maj. She had a group of friends, just as as you said. Right. She had a a group of women. They got together. They went out on Saturday night. The the women played Maj. The men played poker. It was very... You know, they were in a group. They were part of a lodge and a couples club and all of that exactly and it was great because you could go to people's houses and you didn't always have to worry about the babysitting yeah. aspect mm-hmm. and really the only expense was having a mosh set and not everybody owned one here now yeah. everybody seems to own one typically one or two people inherited the it or had it she had to have cards. yes we should start before we get too far into Maj, um, just by describing what it is. And I know you've done a little bit of research. Mm-hmm. Like, Can you tell us a little bit about where it came from? I can, because it's very interesting, and I think it's my story. Maj <laughs> um, obviously started in China. They're not sure the uh, specific date. Some people think it goes back to Confucius. Mahjong is the sound for clicking, and it's clicking birds. And when you mix the tiles, you get this clicking sound. Mm. And that is how they named it Mahjong. It is a tile game. So if you are familiar with dominoes or you play a game like um, Rummy Rummy Q, Q, Mm -hmm. um, it is very consistent with those types of games. Mahjong actually came to America, which I thought was fascinating, by an expatriate. Hmm. And I can relate to that because for 10 years I was an expatriate. Uh This was an American man who was overseas in Shanghai. And two brothers brought the game to the British clubs. And uh, their last name was White. The White brothers brought the game and introduced it to the clubs. What year? About 1920. Approximately 1920. He was fascinated by the game, and he was very smart and enterprising. Because there are, and we all know this, lots of different rules for playing Mahjong, he found it very important to write down the rules. So Joseph Babcock wrote the first rules for Mahjong in 1920. By 1923, there had been nine printings of those rules. So that has to tell you how popular it was. When you subscribe to the Cleveland Jewish News, you receive 52 issues of the award-winning CJN and 15 total magazines, including J-Style, Canvas, and Balanced Family. Try the Cleveland Jewish News for free. Start your six-week free trial at cjn.org slash six free. But he realized um, this game was very, very popular, so he patented the Maj Rule book. And in 1925, he sold it to Parker Brothers as a game. Mm. Yes. It's just such a funny thing, I think, that... Playing Maj among 
Jewish women is just such a thing. I, I always wonder, like, what the origins of that was. Like, why Jewish women? My guess is that as our immigrant parents and grandparents came and we were becoming Americanized, we were being absorbed, this was something that Jewish women did. We didn't necessarily work exactly. at that time in the early, late after the war and early 50s. Some people did, obviously, but other people did not. They didn't have to. And so this was something, you know, sent the kids to school and you started your games. Uh, it was it was a way of becoming an American, a way of feeling an American. Yeah, definitely. It was definitely part of assimilation. Plus the fact, compared to bridge, mahjong is very easy to play. Mm-hmm. It's easy to pick up and to put down and to transport, and you don't have to know all the conventions, and you don't have to take a lot of lessons. So cost was always a factor. Right. This was something that people could do. It was very easy. It, I also think it's got a lot of social class involvement. I think Definitely. Bridge was more of a, a sort of an upper class game. That I mean, my mother would have never played Bridge and, or her friends. No disrespect to anybody, but that wasn't there. You know, they were immigrant kids. They were, you know, Americans. We didn't have any money. Bridge is difficult um, yeah. because you have to be able to read English. You have to be able to read the books. You right. need to understand. Mm-hmm. Right. And really what happened was um, after Mahjong became very, very popular, um, it disappeared for a while, and right. bridge did take over. Mm-hmm. Everybody was seeming interested in playing bridge. Probably when we ended up going to college. Right, exactly. And then Mahjong became more popular, and I think a lot of it was because parents and grandparents taught their children. Mm-hmm. You know, it was part of Comfort Shabbat, and, you know, it's a game. You don't have to turn anything on. You don't have to do anything, I imagine. Right. It's something you can easily play. And it was social. It was easy. Uh, in the 70s, I don't know, I, Maj was, for me, it was like what my mother did. And I wanted to be different from my mother, so I didn't <laughs> play Maj. <laughs> is kind of how I felt. But you always wanted to play Maj, and then when you finally were able to, why did it connect with you so much? I think... It connected because it was something that I remembered from my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, I was different because I grew up in a a single family home, you know, with one parent. Mm -hmm. And so um, my mother didn't have a lot of time to do things with me. And um, when I finally was able to learn Mahjong, even though um, I learned after my mother died, Mm -hmm. I felt it was a connection. I felt it was something that I remembered very vividly as a child, and it's something that I wanted to pass on to my children. Mm -hmm. My oldest daughter, who lives in New Albany, plays Mahjong, Mm -hmm. and I have played tournaments with her. That's a whole nother level of this Yes, game. it is. Yes, it <laughs> is. another reason why I don't like Mosh, because it's very competitive. And well, what I mean. <laughs> but it is and it isn't, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why. But okay. my Lauren said to me, when you play Mahjong, please make sure you play by the official rules. Okay? Because there are lots of different ways of playing. And she says, when you play in tournaments, you need to play with the official rules. 
or you will be disqualified. And it's been a wonderful bonding experience uh, for me and my daughter. I go to um, New Albany and in Columbus when they have a game. We have driven to Cincinnati mm-hmm. to play Maj together. I'm actually going to play in my first Beachwood Maj tournament tomorrow. <laughs> wow. And I just bought cards Mm -hmm. for my daughter who lives in Indianapolis because she and a group of women are going to start to learn how to play Mosh. So my friends and I, one of them, Marsha, won two of the games last week. We're going to talk to her on the podcast soon. Oh, good. Um, Good. She went back home to Pittsburgh, got her family's Mosh set, and she's bringing it here, and we're going to start playing, like, next week or the week after. Yeah, I think it's just, it's a wonderful way to connect with your parents, something that they did Mm -hmm. that you can say, you know what, I learned from her, I want to do it, I want to pass it on to my children. It's just a really nice, and I love, as I said, I love games. I think games are really, really important. I am an educator by training. I have a master's degree in special ed. And um, everybody says, you know, homage is just a game of chance. It is not just a game of chance. Mm -hmm. And it teaches you as an adult and as children lots of skills if you really stop to think about it. Hmm. What would you say you've learned? Well, for me, um, I think the one thing that I have learned is that it is a game of chance, but it is a game where you need to pay attention, you need to anticipate what other people might be doing, you need to anticipate what uh, tile somebody is going to pick up so that you can play defensively. Mm-hmm. So I think the anticipation and um, learning to play defensively is number one. I think that's something great that we need to learn in life. You learn it when you teach your children checkers. You learn mm-hmm. it when you, if you choose to learn chess. And I think Mahjong is no exception. So yeah. that's number one. Secondly, you can play more than one hand. It teaches you flexibility. It teaches you not to get stuck in a rut by doing just one thing. And when I first started to play Maj, that's the way I played. I said, oh, I saw threes and fives and sevens and nines. You know, I didn't look at the card in any other dimension. Mm -hmm. That's not smart. You're not anticipating. You're not planning ahead. You're not planning defensively. You're stuck in a rut and you're not being flexible. The third aspect is I really learned to be a risk taker. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Well, everybody wants to play and win. But a lot of times, if I'm not getting the tiles that I want, or I'm not picking what I want, I might say to myself, I don't care. I'm going to go for this closed hand, which is a very, very difficult hand. I'm not a risk taker as an individual. (laughs) So it has forced me to become a risk taker. So I lose. So I lose the hand. Mm. And now I've gone beyond just playing the closed hand and the difficult hands. And I'm taking a personal risk. I am now going to tournaments. Yeah. Mm. How have you been doing at the tournaments? Well, the first two times that I played with my daughter, I was horrible. I get very nervous. Probably stop breathing. I think I sit there and I hold my breath because people play very quickly I have not done well at either tournament, and I don't anticipate tomorrow I'm going to do much better. I've never won a game. 
greatly enjoyed playing again with the sisterhood, and uh, you brought that to B'nai Sharon, mm-hmm. the event, uh, mm-hmm. just a couple of weeks ago. So. Right. So that's another, you know, you're 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 taking risks in your own life and bringing, bringing uh, the game here. Moving it along to the next generation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. It is moving it along to the next generation. But I have to tell you, what is so nice is that once you start to play, you begin to meet so many other people that you might not have met otherwise because they play Maj. For example, I invited a friend. She was looking for a Maj game. Again, she's newly retired, and she said, you know, I need to get into a group. Um, I invited her, and she called, and she thanked me so many times. She said, this was so nice. Mm -hmm. I got to meet so many different people Mm -hmm. that I would not have met otherwise. And then, of course, like we all do, we played Jewish (laughs) geography, and she told me where she lived, and I told her three people who live in her complex who play mahjong so now she can connect with them and it's a wonderful it's a kindness yeah it's a way to extend kindness it really is because people need other people Mm -hmm. and this is a fun way to do it well that's a great note to to end our conversation on i really thank you for talking to us about this wonderful game thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed it thank you Thanks for listening to Cleveland Schmooze, a podcast produced by Rachel and Robin Rood. Tune in every other Friday to get the latest episode in your podcast feed. You can also find an archive of our episodes at our website, clevelandschmooze.com. And feel free to share any comments or suggestions to our email, clevelandschmooze at gmail.com. That's schmooze spelled C-A-S-C-H. <laughs> That's schmooze spelled schmooze. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.